Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Diver was a freedom rider. She didn't care if the whole world Joan of Arc. On November 14, 1972, the television sitcom Maud aired the first episode of a groundbreaking two part series. These episodes see the central character, Maud, a 47 year old grandmother, discover that she's pregnant and she decides to have an abortion. Just tell me, Walter, that I'm doing the right thing not having the baby. For you, Maud, for me, in the privacy of our own lives, you're doing the right thing. Until then, abortion had barely been mentioned on primetime TV. A little over two months after the Maud episodes originally aired, Roe v. Wade became law of the land. But that didn't exactly open the floodgates to abortion storylines on TV. And those that have appeared don't always reflect the reality of abortion. According to the Guttmacher Institute, 62% of women of reproductive age live in states that are hostile to abortion rights. That's up from 49% in the year 2000. My name is Steph Harold. I'm a researcher at Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health at the University of California, San Francisco. Steph and her colleagues track abortion storylines on TV. They found that in 2022, just one-third of plot lines portrayed barriers to abortion access. And that's the highest it's been since they started this work a decade ago. Abortion has really been part of the American cultural lexicon since the start of you know all the media we've had. So in the early TV shows pre-Roe, what we really saw were depictions of doctors and detectives who would have to save women from these illegal and unsafe abortion providers. And then in right before Roe in 1972, right, we had the classic Norman Lear mod episode, really the first abortion depiction in prime time that really centered uh, the woman character as the one who was really driving the abortion plot line instead of having a, you know, a man come to save her. We really didn't see that kind of thread of abortion being associated with support and empowerment again until the 90s and early 2000s. So really, like after Roe, we started to see more depictions of abortion on TV, some actually more progressive than what we saw later on, right? We had in the 80s movies like Dirty Dancing and Fast Times at Ridgemont High that showed people getting their abortions and having help from either partners or friends or their communities. And then, you know, abortion on TV has often reflected what's going on in the the politics of the time. So in the 90s, we started to see sitcoms focus more on, you know, the person having the abortion, but the drama often centered on the, the will they or won't they aspect. You know, some shows like Roseanne or Party of Five, a character would decide to have an abortion and then either, you know, at the last minute, oops, turns out she's not really pregnant or, you know, decides not to have an abortion. Other shows like Law and Order or Chicago Hope, ER, had these kind of special abortion episodes where they would have kind of the characters act out this, you know, disagreement about abortion while in the backdrop, the episode is about clinic protests or a clinic being bombed. That's when we really started to see some of that cultural conflict appear in TV. 
So I'm interested in a context maybe of shows where we often did see, for example, women's sexual liberation. So I'm thinking here specifically of Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. We saw women making use of their sex and sexuality. And yet when it got to kind of the very special episode around Miranda considering an abortion, yes. right, it is that, you know, moment where you flash in and then boom, she's decided not to. Mm-hmm. Tell me why why that matters. Like what difference does it make? to represent abortion in those ways. That's really a thread that we saw in the 2000s, right, where the plot line started to go back to the characters having the abortion as kind of the center of the plot line, except like the focus of the drama was on this, you know, will they or won't they? So we saw that on Sex in the City. Um, and on that Sex in the City episode, I think Samantha talks about having had an abortion. Carrie talks about a past abortion. So in those ones, we only see kind of characters thinking about past abortions with a lot of emotional angst, at least with Carrie, right? She, I think she even goes back to uh, the restaurant where the guy that she had sex with works. She, she kind of like daydreams about what it would have been like. The abortion plot lines of that time really imbued the decision making itself with a lot of emotionality. Um, and I think what that does is kind of convey this false assumption that when considering abortion, it's really a hand-wringing, emotional decision for everyone. Um, and of course, that's the case for some of us. But for many people, the research tells us that when you find out you're pregnant, you kind of know like, oh, this is not the right time for this. Like what's difficult about abortion, right, is actually getting access to it, not making the decision. Your recent report also shows that abortion is very white, cisgendered, and mm-hmm. heterosexual. Can you yes. say a bit about about that? Yes, for sure. So over the last decade or so, we've really paid very close attention to the demographics of the characters who get abortions on television versus the real people who have abortions in real life. And like all of television, abortion plot lines tend to misrepresent the reality of who gets abortions. So what we see on TV is characters who are white, who are middle class or wealthy, who are not parenting. And we know that the majority of people who have abortions are people of color are parenting. So television really chooses to tell these stories of characters who are whiter and wealthier than their real life counterparts. Um, And even though we see more and more television shows that incorporate stories of characters of color, this trend really remains. We saw eight plot lines over the past year that included Black characters who, who either obtained an abortion or disclosed a past abortion, which is more than we've seen before. But it still is just so underrepresentative of what, you know, accessing an abortion looks like. And that means that we don't get to see the kind of the intersection of how racism, sexism, classism all intersect in this, you know, healthcare accessing experience. Um, And I think that that's really missing. And what we saw this past year is also very different than years before is more um, depictions of barriers to abortion on screen. And at the same time, the vast majority of characters who encounter those barriers on screen were white, were middle class, or wealthy. When in real life, the people most impacted by restrictions on abortion care, by gestational bans, by outright abortion bans, are people of color, are people struggling to make ends meet. So again, it's this misrepresentation, this constructing a reality in which it's very difficult, allegedly, for white people to get access to abortion when that's not what's happening. All right, y'all, we have to take a break. More of this conversation in just a moment.
About 600,000 people go missing every year in the U.S., prompting family members to become amateur detectives. On the trail of one missing person is journalist Tanya Mosley. Why do you think you hesitated when we first met in telling me the full details about your mother's disappearance? It's heartbreaking. I didn't want to break your heart. I'm Kai Wright. Tanya Mosley joins me next time on Notes from America. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. I'm talking with Steph Harold from the Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Healthcare Research Program. She studies how American television shows have handled abortion plot lines and has looked particularly at how they've handled them since the Dobbs decision overturned Roe v. Wade. I was really surprised to see that even, you know, the Dobbs decision came out in June, even this past fall, we had quite a few, you know, medical and legal dramas that actually took up the, you know, the Dobbs decision as part of their um, plot lines. You know, we had New Amsterdam, Grey's Anatomy, FBI Most Wanted, these kind of legal and medical dramas that I think have a, a shorter production time than shows, you know, that, that might appear on like HBO or Hulu that have, I think, I'm not an expert on that, longer time between like script and casting and shooting and production. So my guess is we will see much more of that in the in the years to come, considering it takes so long. But I was really impressed that some of those shows took that on so quickly. I can remember after sort of immediately after the election of President Barack Obama, there was conversation about how television, movies had in certain ways laid the groundwork for the election of a black president by, Mm -hmm. you know, representing presidents in movies and TV shows about other things, right? But the president would be black. Um, I'm wondering if you imagine a similar kind of possibility around abortion stories. Do you see it as having a potential policy and political effect? Yeah, I think that's a huge question, right? And we know that TV helps people make sense of the world, especially entertainment TV, right? It helps us understand issues like abortion that are often discussed in in polarizing ways by politicians, right? Instead of personal ways in which we experience it in day-to-day life. But I and I, as much as I think both Hollywood and, and many of us want to assume that there's this direct connection between what we see on TV and how we vote, I think it's it's much more complicated than that. And I know many, many, you know, researchers and advocates like to also point to shows like Will and Grace as really contributing to this kind of culture shift around LGBT issues and marriage equality in particular. Um, but I think it's a really tricky comparison to make, both because of how much TV has changed since then, right? You mentioned streaming and, and broadcast, and we just have so much more ways to watch TV and much more TV to watch now. Who watches what programs is much more segregated than it's, it's ever been, right? If you don't want to watch shows with a conservative message or with the progressive message, you can pretty easily filter those out, whereas that wasn't always the case before. Um, so I... I think we just have a lot more to learn about how TV um, and what we watch impacts, you know, the way we feel and think and vote on these things. Um, one one thing that we're we're trying to understand right now is kind of untangling how TV impacts people's attitudes and knowledge and behaviors around abortion. And what we're finding is it seems like some of these plot lines really increase people's knowledge, especially when there's um, 
accurate information conveyed, right? Like how to take uh, medication abortion pills. Mm. Um, but it doesn't seem to increase their support for abortion in particular. So we're trying to understand why that is and what factors could we tweak or differ um, or suggest to showrunners, right, that they could try to move the needle on that. So, you know, we had just have a lot to learn on that front. Steph Harold is a researcher in the Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health Program at the University of California, San Francisco. Steph, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Melissa.